Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about hormones after birth. What does the postpartum hormonal roller coaster look like? How can you support your hormonal balance to avoid adrenal fatigue and autoimmune issues? What's causing your vaginal dryness, and should you consider vaginal rehab? Dr. Jolene Brighton is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Fullscript, the number one online supplement dispensary for healthcare practitioners and their patients. Get the exact supplements your healthcare provider recommends on a consistent basis right to your door. Find out more at fullscript.com birthful. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive pregnant or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thanks for listening and for all your messages. If what you hear is helpful, then please do take a few minutes to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or on Google, wherever you listen to it, everywhere. Tell your friends. It really does help. And speaking of messages, I did receive quite a few from you about last week's episode. It was sort of polarizing. Some of you loved it. Some of you didn't so much. You may have already seen my post about it on Facebook or Instagram, but basically I did want to tell you that it was a challenging episode to do. Why may you ask? Well, aside from the fact that I was dealing with some migraine shadows, so I was feeling a little off. Um, and that probably made me ramble a bit more than usual. It was because I sincerely love and appreciate so many of the wonderful things that Dr. Carp has discovered, shared, and created to help new and expectant parents all over the world have a smoother postpartum experience. Those five S's have saved the life of many parents because they've told me. At the same time, we don't necessarily see eye to eye on some things like, for example, sleeping arrangements or that baby doesn't get a say on whether or not to be swaddled. But you know what? That is totally OK. We are totally capable of appreciating our differences and our similarities, knowing that we are all trying to do our best by you, by new and expectant parents. If you've listened to even a few of the Birthful Podcast episodes, then you know that I deeply believe that you are the expert of your baby, and I encourage you to research what's out there to find what works for you, your lifestyle, your parenting style. So as you listen to any and all of these episodes, go ahead and do run the information through your own critical filters. Take what resonates and leave or explore with curiosity what doesn't. Easy peasy. All right. So my guest today is the fabulous Dr. Jolene Brighton. She has a book titled Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, The New Mom's Guide to Navigating the Fourth Trimester. And it was, in fact, that book that led me to have to reach out and have her on the show. One of the things that Dr. Brighton mentions as being really important in preparing for the fourth trimester is to have a postpartum plan. And I couldn't agree with her more. So much so that if you go to birthful.com, you can get my, a free postpartum prep worksheet that I've created uh, for free. It's free. This worksheet has been reviewed, redesigned, and updated to reflect so many of the important considerations shared by my guests. So if you don't have a plan, do yourself a favor and go download it from birthful.com. 
Now, before I talk with Dr. Brighton, let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a licensed functional medicine naturopathic doctor, best-selling author, speaker, and mother. She specializes in women's health from fertility to postpartum care, adrenal and thyroid support, autoimmune conditions, and digestive disorders. Dr. Brighton thrives on navigating the space between conventional and alternative medicine, all while working with patients to help them achieve optimum balance, health, and happiness, which is, of course, something we all want. Dr. Brighton, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Very exciting. So we're going to be talking about hormones and it's the affecting that whole before being pregnant and after being pregnant. Let's start first with what's more of my wheelhouse, which is the after, after pregnancy, after birth, that postpartum period. We always hear, you know, your hormones topple and there's all these craziness and your hormones are going to make you... To have the cry and laugh at the same time. Like, what is it that's happening? What goes on with hormones after the birth? Oh boy, um, did I not laugh and cry at the same time, especially in those first two weeks? Right. I remember my um, <clears throat> my husband coming home after my son was born, and I was just like tears streaming down my face, crying, and he's like, "Oh no, you know what's happening? What's wrong?" And I'm like, "I'm just so happy," <laughs> and so, you know. And then the next minute, I'd be crying and being like, "I feel really sad," and you know, that is really uh, what the you know, it's the end result. You know, those emotions from what happens to the the big hormonal shift. So once baby's born, so once mama goes through birth, baby comes into this world and then the placenta follows. So once the placenta's birth, our hormones essentially drop to that of a postmenopausal woman. We haven't been cycling for, you know, 10 months. You've been pregnant with a child. Um, growing a small human is a very, very energetically consuming and well orchestrated event by your body and by baby's body. But once you pass that placenta, your hormones drop and our hormones, you know, and mostly, you know, for the most part, when we're talking about women's hormones, we're talking about estrogen and progesterone. Although, you know, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol, all these other hormones, we have them all uh, circulating in our bodies and they're all very important for us as well. But, you know, when it comes really to talking about mood symptoms, the big players for women are the estrogen and progesterone. And so while you're pregnant, you know, you've got these lovely levels of hormones that, you know, it's a lot of times why we're feeling kind of chill and blissed out and, you know, things are, things are uh, you know, much easier mood wise. Not always true in pregnancy. Women can become depressed during pregnancy, but it's a lot to do with what's happening uh, with those hormones. And it's the same true like as a cycling female, if you've got adequate estrogen and progesterone, you're feeling good. You're in love with your life. Everything is just bliss and happiness. But when you go through like essentially a withdrawal from these hormones, that's where those baby blues start to creep in. And so it's it's never just about hormones. And I, I want to make that really clear that you know, we're, we're complex systems. And so there's a lot more going on. And, you know, so we can certainly talk about the mental, emotional changes and even, you know, gr you know, gripping with this new concept of your new identity as you step into motherhood. All of these things can certainly affect you as well. But, you know, for our purposes, when that progesterone and estrogen drops, that's when women start to find themselves really weepy. This is the same thing that happens. So for women who are still cycling and maybe have PMS symptoms and maybe they want to cry a lot more 
more the week before their period. Maybe they feel a little more bluesy. They may not even having trouble sleeping. You know, that's an issue with too low of progesterone. And so that can affect moms as well. And, you know, it's something that as women, it's important to recognize there's there's two two points in our life when those hormones really drop. And you can look at a new mother's hormonal experience and a perimenopausal woman's hormonal experience. They're very similar because of the decline in hormones. The difference with mom, though, is that she just rapidly dropped her hormones. And so that's very different. That's an abrupt change in your in your hormones. And in addition to that, you went through, you know, arguably one of the most uh, demanding athletic events of your life. Childbirth, to me, is more demanding than running a marathon. And I think that we really need to reframe that in our culture and really honor what mama goes through. And again, as, as we, we chatted a bit before we started, um, this interview, that's why doulas are so, so important to have that support around as all of these changes are taking place. Yeah. And I really like the fact that you you compared it into that you're when you are not pregnant, when you're cycling through that you have these moods that come and go and it uh, you know, ebbs and flows with your hormones that is everything aligned. And you might get weepy in that, you know, when you got your period or that p week before. Well, yeah, you haven't been cycling for 10 months, basically. And then you get this, you do get this long period, you do have this Loki of your body recovering. Like, does that, is it, am I just making things up? Or would it be good to equate that this is like, you had a 10 month long cycle that's finally coming to rebounding. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can, I can, you know, I see a little bit of where you're going there, you know, the, and, and maybe I'm not completely understanding, but, you know, the only thing that I really would say, um, you know, to that is that in that, in that 10 months, there was no cycling of the hormones, there was no fluctuations, no changes. And uh, I just, I just think that menstrual cycles are a lot more gentle in terms of the hormonal shifts than, than having a baby is because it's, um, you know, when you have your period, it's a, you drop your estrogen progesterone. And then your period follows and about day three, your estrogen comes right back up. And so that's that your estrogen's coming up in a, in a postpartum woman. You don't, you don't have that quick of a return. Um, your brain actually has to start figuring out how to speak to your ovaries again, but there's also the issue that now you're breastfeeding. And so your prolactin levels are up and, you know, in that way, it's kind of a natural, uh, protection against getting pregnant. Although you and I know that's not a hundred percent foolproof. So I've never been Women out there know that it's not a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And so you know that you you know things are a little bit different because you're still not going to go into cycling those hormones in the same way, even though you just had baby and those hormones drop. Everything's got to come back online, and your body's got to figure out its rhythm again, which is where sometimes women can get um, you know into a little bit of issues. Like women, you know, will sometimes report that after having baby, their periods are now so much easier, but other women will report, you know, that it's actually worse, their PMS symptoms are worse. And a lot of that can actually come down to, you know, less about, uh, so it certainly can be how the brain and the ovaries are communicating. So the brain has to spike certain hormones at certain times, which tell the ovaries when to produce estrogen and when to produce progesterone. But, you know, to throw, uh, you know, a a, to complicate it a little bit further, you know, your thyroid and your adrenal glands play a huge role in your menstrual cycle, and they take a 
a really big hit in new moms. And the reason for that is because your adrenal glands, they're two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys and their role is to secrete, um, there's a bunch of hormones that regulate blood pressure and you know help with your testosterone levels, but the main hormone we think for them is cortisol. And cortisol gets a really bad rap sometimes because it can cause bo- bo- uh, you to store belly fat. This is true. But cortisol is a fantastic hormone at really modulating inflammation. So it keeps inflammation down. And that's really, really important for all of us. I mean, inflammation is really at the heart of how we develop all chronic diseases. But, you know, what happens with the adrenal glands, they <clears throat> absolutely love, and I, and I talk about this in my book as well. So if you've read my book, you've, you've heard this, but they love regular sleep. They love regular meals. They love routine. They love low stress. They love everything a baby will not give you. And this is not because baby's malicious. It's because baby is very small, small human being that needs you for survival. But if you think about how we actually mother, I mean, the way we mother now is a, is a huge evolutionary mismatch in my mind because uh, there's absolutely no way the human race would actually be here if we were doing this all on our own. And so every time a mom says to me, I just feel like I'm inadequate or I can't do this and, and I, I just can't do this all on my own and, and that for some reason they think that means something's wrong with them, I always have to just reframe it for them and remind them that we always mothered in tribes. Like we always had, you know, a, a collaboration of women to make sure that babies survived. And what came with that is lower stress. Um, you know, that's arguable in case there was a lion lurking al- around or something like that. But really, you know, having having women to support you, you would be able to get sleep, you would get nourishment, you didn't have the hustle and bustle that you have of today's modern society. And so, you know, the way that we're actually mothering and, and and it's not something I think many of us elect for, we would love more help. I know I would love more help. But the way that we are doing this, I mean, you go through this incredibly athletic event to bear a baby, to bring this baby into the world. And what your body needs more than anything is sleep to recover. But, you know, this this little human that you just had, their liver and their, their biochemistry isn't set up for good sugar metabolism. So basically their blood sugar can't be regulated. That's why they've got to wake up so often and feed. And so mama's not getting sleep. Uh, she's get, you know, stressed out most likely because it's very abrupt. You know, I have patients who have had one baby or four babies and they say, you know, it's different for every child and there is new stress with it. Things change. So, you know, all of this is sets up the a perfect stage for just really taxing those adrenal glands. And so new moms are really susceptible for developing what is what is commonly called adrenal fatigue. Now, your adrenals don't actually get fatigued. It's more of a, uh, of a miscommunication between the brain and the adrenal glands happening. But I think, you know, everybody really understands the term uh, adrenal fatigue. And so what happens is that, you know, as those adrenal glands, they start pushing out too much cortisol, not enough cortisol, we get dysregulation in our immune system. And that dysregulation can lead to inflammation, which stretches the body further, which hits the brain and disrupts your, your yummy little neurotransmitter transmitters, which would make you feel really happy, it actually sets the stage for developing postpartum depression. And then the thyroid can take a hit as well. 
We know that uh, you know one in 12 women worldwide will experience postpartum thyroiditis following birth. What that is, is a new autoimmune disease that specifically affects the thyroid. Any autoimmune can d- disease can develop postpartum in a mom, and not a lot of people are talking about this. This is like my, this is my subspecialty, um, is the, the, the autoimmune conditions that develop in women just as a result of giving birth or even having a miscarriage. But, you know, the thyroid, as that begins to get uh, taxed, whether that's because of adrenal dysfunction or because of an autoimmune condition, we start to see decline in mood, increase in weight gain, decline in milk supply. And this can really set the stage for, you know, when your period actually does come back. Well, firstly, it could, the the adrenal thyroid issues can make it so your period does not come back. And this is how we can see secondary infertility develop. But it also can make it when your periods do come back, they're really heavy, they're really difficult, and the PMS symptoms are really unbearable. Does that make sense? It does. And I think we had, that was a lot of information. So let's, let's review and break it down a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Um, So during pregnancy, what happens is mostly the placenta is more in charge of regulating your hormonal flow. Is that what's going on? There's, there's still the balance. The brain is still, you know, the brain's still talking to everybody, but the placenta is what takes over. And so that's actually why we get um, morning sickness is so fierce is because when you ovulate, what's left behind is this structure called the corpus luteum. And this is what produces progesterone and makes our periods really easy. When we get pregnant, that corpus luteum takes its job very seriously and is like, let's get all that progesterone going, which slows digestion, makes us nauseous. We don't digest our food as well. We feel really bloated. And then what happens is that it's when the placenta takes over and that system comes back into play or that really starts to, um, you know, do its job, so to speak. That's when we see that, you know, some women can still have nausea throughout pregnancy, but the majority of women, nausea abates, the fatigue lifts, you know, the brain fog starts to go away because the placenta is now doing its job. Mm-hmm. So then once the placenta is delivered, that has been kind of conducting things for a few months, then that the brain has to get back in charge and and sort of say, okay, this is what we're doing now. And that's where that miscommunication can occur. Yes, that's where that miscommunication can occur. And then, you know, you you just dropped all your hormones. And so this is where um, placenta encapsulation, you know, what we can see, there's actually been some brilliant studies published just this year. Um, and I was actually saying, oh, no, I have to go rewrite my book because now there's more research. When I was writing my book, there was very little research on placenta encapsulation. But we actually know now, um, you know, there's been studies actually parsing out what could it be about the placenta because now, you know, I, this is this is really important for, uh, I think, women to understand. Because so many women now are encapsulating their placenta and they have chosen to consume it, that has driven the research forward to investigate what is it about that. So this is very important because this is one one place where we actually have a vote in our healthcare that we can actually shape what's being researched is just by enough of us joining a movement and really commanding that the, this is what we're going to do. Therefore, science, doctors, you have to come on board with us. And I I just think it's brilliant because this is really something that, um, you know, birth providers and women like yourself, you know, that are working in the birth space have really had a major influence and a, a major voice really in what we're seeing now in the research. So, you know, this is just to applaud every woman who has ever even talked about placenta encapsulation, because really, you're one of the women to think that we now have research showing us that 
there is a plethora of hormones that are in the uh, the placenta. Now, the majority of the research has shown that there, there are very low levels of hormones, although it's it's kind of funny because I read this uh, one study that was like, we don't really think it has an effect because the hormones are so low, but you know, they, we should also caution women because they could actually get a blood clot from doing placenta encapsulation. And I had to stand back and say, whoa, 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 you, you don't get it both ways. It's not like, oh, well, it's probably placebo and there's this high risk with it. The hormones are really small. And when we're talking about, uh, you know, the risk for blood clots, going on a birth control pill has way higher risk than, than, you know, taking your placenta. So to really frame it in that way, and doctors don't even hesitate to pass out birth control pills. So this is something just really to frame it that, you know, you might Google that and see that. At this point, I don't think there's been enough evidence to support that. And, you know, we're not seeing high rates of, of stroke or, you know, any anything with blood clots happening in postpartum women who are encapsulating their placenta. And I certainly have tons of patients who have done it. But, you know, beyond just the hormones that are in the placenta, there's also a great array of minerals. And namely, you know, I've seen studies that have shown, uh, you know, anywhere from like 25 to 75 percent of, of uh, percentage daily value of iron being contained in the placenta, which is really important. And I think, um, you know, this doesn't get talked about enough that iron and these other micronutrients, they, they're going to support your hormones coming back into balance. But, you know, we know that iron deficiency can actually lead to postpartum depression. I mean, and that makes sense, right? Your brain's not getting enough oxygen and mama's going to feel more fatigued. And, you know, iron is also supportive of thyroid hormone function. And if thyroid hormone gets too low, we're going to feel depressed as well. And so, you know, this is actually one of the reasons why I'm a big proponent of placenta encapsulation. Before there was ever research on it, you know, it's, it's something that, yeah, you know, I had to say in my book, it's, it's mostly anecdotal evidence, but you know, there's a lot of power, I think, in anecdotal evidence. Yeah. So, okay. So the placenta. <laughs> I know I keep just dumping a bunch of information for you, huh? <laughs> Let's go back. So, all right. And trying to figure out how to get that brain to communicate and, and, and start the systems and start cycling again as while at the same time you're recovering from birth and you're probably breastfeeding and, and you have prolactin going on. Like you have all of these things come together and in a situation where what would best support your adrenal glands would be to sleep and to get good nutrition and to do, you know, have things in a regular schedule, which this baby's not allowing you to do. Yeah, <laughs> all those things come together, right? It's hard circumstances. What are some of the things that new moms can do to support their hormones and encourage that balance after birth to avoid postpartum depression and to, you know, get their adrenals more into shape and also, you know, just feel better altogether? A lot, you know, more than just encapsulate the placenta, because I'm not dismissing that at all. But what are that's one of the things. What are other things that they can do? And before you answer that, the worst part is I'm going to have to take a break right now. So that question is going to be left hanging. But, you know, we'll be right back. One of the most important things new moms and moms-to-be can do for themselves and for a baby who depends on them is to make sure they're getting enough nutrients. A healthy diet certainly goes a long way, but dietary supplements can also help moms get what they need. However, the last thing a pregnant person wants to do is run around town trying to track down that exact prenatal vitamin, supplement, herbal remedy, or tea that their care provider recommended. You've got enough on your plate. Imagine if your care provider could send the exact recommended product by speedy delivery straight to your door. 
And imagine if you got a reminder to reorder online just as you're nearing the end of the bottle. Fullscript is an online supplement and natural product dispensary for healthcare practitioners and their patients. If you're a pregnant mama who wants a fast and effortless way to get your supplements and other natural products, then ask your healthcare provider to sign up for Fullscript by going to fullscript.com slash birthful. And if you're a healthcare provider who wants to make sure your patients get the exact products you recommend on a consistent basis and at competitive prices, then do sign up for a totally free Fullscript account today at fullscript.com slash birthful. And we're back talking to Dr. Jolene Brighton about the hormonal balance. And so I left a question hanging. What are some of those things that new moms can do to support their hormones and encourage that balance after birth to avoid postpartum repression and get their adrenals more into shape? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many things. <laughs> and this is, you know, I detail um, a lot of this in the, in the different sections in my book, but so when, um, when you have baby and, and you're absolutely right, there's a lot of things that are going to be out of, out of your control, like when baby sleeps, but certainly asking for help and asking for it often, um, and being very direct in what you need, uh, I think can be hugely helpful for women. And so I actually give women um, in my practice a uh, fourth trimester birth plan, and I say, you know, write it up. and And I call it this because, you know, everybody makes these birth plans about how how the perfect birth is going to go, which you and I know almost never happens the way you think it's going to. Which is, you know, it's great. It's part of, you know, it's part of our rite of passage in in a way with that. But really tr trying to plan for postpartum, which lasts, you know, much longer. I call it the fourth trimester, the first three months following baby's birth. But really, I mean, postpartum is really the first year. You need a whole year to recover your body. So putting a plan in place and seeing and trying to navigate the ways that you can take pressure and stress off of yourself. That's one of the first things that I would say and getting like a good team on board. So before you even have a baby, I recommend having a doula, making sure, you know, working with a, a mental health uh, practitioner. So whether that's a counselor or a psychiatrist, just having someone on board in case you need it, because it's much better to have someone you trust when when things get you know get dark than it is to have to scramble and find someone when you're you're not in the most clearest state so definitely a team getting support and asking for what you need people want to help so don't hesitate to tell them I don't want you to take my baby I want you to vacuum my house that's okay for you I get I grant you full permission for that so you know that's one place but you know there's other things that you can be doing for yourself so First and foremost, regular meals are a must. You have to be eating. In, in the early days, I tell women every two to three hours, you're going to be putting food in your mouth. And like every hour to two hours, you need to be drinking a cup of water. Hydration and blood sugar dysregulation will stress your hormones and, and your adrenal glands, namely, more than anything else. And this is really important to understand that, you know, <clears throat> Blood sugar dysregulation, stress, inflammation, these things can actually lead you to develop conditions like diabetes. You can have the most perfect diet. You can eat as clean as possible and exercise all the time. But just having irregular meals, which causes adrenal dysfunction, can actually leave you susceptible to developing you know, diabetes and other conditions. So it's, it's that important. Now, what I recommend moms do is they eat fat and protein with every meal. Your protein is going to help sensitize you to insulin 
insulin, which is good, but your fat is more neutral, which means that you won't overshoot insulin, and then you won't overshoot your glucose. And because you're breastfeeding, you need really healthy fats because that fat is gonna come through your breast milk. Here's the other deal. Your brain was shrinking in, in your third trimester. Um, so mom brain is this real thing. It's this real beautiful physiology that takes place where you actually can't multitask the first six months after baby very well because your brain has changed to make it so that you are solely focused on the survival of your baby, which I think is absolutely brilliant. But to get your brain back, we're gonna have to feed it. And what the best things you can do to feed it is eating fatty fish. So things like salmon and sardines and mackerel, or even starting to take a fish oil. So depending on you know what women are dealing with, I wanna break down fish oil a bit uh, for you because you know everyone just uh, thinks like, oh, just go take fish oil. Um, never, ever, ever take fish oil from, you know, something somewhere like GNC or Costco or anything like that. I want to say that I am very picky about fish oil and the fish oil I use in my practice needs to be third party tested, which means that someone who doesn't stand to make any money off of this product actually selling is screening it for mercury and other chemicals that could hurt you. Um, and then I'm also a really big fan of using only sustainable fishing practices um, because we shouldn't be harvesting fish, grabbing their liver and throwing them back into the ocean, in my opinion. We should be a lot more sustainable at how we do things. But that aside, so fish oil, what do we wanna actually be taking? Now, again, highest quality fish oil, now, there's two, like if we really break it down, there's EPA and there's DHA. Now, EPA is great anti-inflammatory and it thins the blood. I bring that up because sometimes birth uh, providers, OBs will say, you have to stop all your EPA before, or all of your fish oil before you give birth because you could, you could uh, bleed more. You're gonna need more like six to eight grams of EPA daily. That's a lot. That's 6,000 to 8,000 milligrams to really thin the blood effectively. So most women, only taking around 2,000 milligrams, which is the sweet spot to get inflammation down and feel good. So it's usually not an issue. But in the third trimester, I actually recommend going higher DHA because DHA is good for the brain, your brain and baby's brain. So as baby's uh, whole nervous system is developing and getting ready to come into this world, which is a whole different experience, this is one way that you can support baby and at the same time support your brain. DHA is also great in postpartum. So I actually recommend both EPA and DHA, and I like to have a balance of them in the postpartum period so that we're taking care of mom's brain. You need that DHA to actually even make long-term memory. So if you don't, if you're having memory issues postpartum, that's, you gotta get your DHA up. That's definitely one thing you wanna look at. And then the EPA is gonna help bring down inflammation. And so that's gonna support your adrenal glands as well. And then those fats pass through the breast milk and they are super good for a developing baby. So, um, you know, for moms out there, your child's uh, brain and nervous system is rapidly developing in the first five years of their life. So that's the best time to get all of that DHA into their system. You're gonna make a little genius baby if you're doing that. Trust me on that one. So the regular meals, getting fish oil in, and I talk more uh, about fish oil and, and specific supplementation, you know, for certain conditions in my book. And then there's an herb that I really, really love a new mom. So there's there's several herbs that we can actually be using um, postpartum that can't be used in pregnancy. I'm very cautious about what we use in pregnancy because 
you know, to me, if we don't have research showing us that it's safe, that it's definitively safe, we probably shouldn't be messing around with that. And there's there's uh, a lot of herbs that you can use food-based in pregnancy, but when we really want to get medicinal application out of our herbs, we need to be taking them in either a tincture, which is a liquid form, or in a capsule form. And there's two herbs I, I really love for new moms to support the adrenal glands and to support energy production. And those are licorice and rhodiola. So <clears throat> rhodiola, this is an endurance herb. This herb has been studied well in athletes and, and anybody who needs mental endurance. So for that reason, I call it the mom herb because really rhodiola is what's going to give you the energy and the stamina to get through the day to physically keep up with the demands of the day. And it's going to keep your mood um, nice and balanced and it's going to keep you sharp. Now, the only caveat to that is that if you have a history of bipolar disorder, rhodiola is not the herb for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It has been shown to be have adverse effects with people with a history of bipolar disorder. So that's the only caveat with that. And so, you know, if we're not using rhodiola, we might use something like licorice or I might use it in conjunction with it with rhodiola. And uh, in my book, uh, you know, The Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, I go through, I have a bunch of tea recipes in there that leverage a lot of these herbs because uh, I really believe in rituals and food as medicine. But, you know, a lot of times we are using licorice. Usually it's going to be in a tincture or a solid extract form. The solid extracts just like the tastiest, so it's nice to use. But the reason I like to use licorice is that it keeps your cortisol around a little bit longer. So cortisol spikes in the morning. That's that hormone coming from your adrenal glands. And it's what keeps inflammation down and gives you energy throughout the day. So if we use a little bit of licorice in the morning, so if I'm using a solid extract, it'll probably be like an eighth of a teaspoon. If it's a tincture, I use like a couple dropper fools in women in the morning. It can keep that cortisol around a little bit longer and it's anti-inflammatory as well, which your adrenal glands just love. And so when we keep inflammation down, again, everything in the body works a lot better, especially your brain. Our brain Brains are so susceptible to inflammation. The uh, the only time you wouldn't want to use licorice is that if you are someone who has a history of high blood pressure, you currently have high blood pressure, you're going to want someone monitoring you while you while you take licorice. And you know that's as simple as just having your blood pressure checked and making sure that's not an issue for you. But those are two herbs that I find are really really helpful. If we can keep the inflammation down and we can support the adrenal glands, then you know the uh, you know everything should even out in terms of the brain coming back online and speaking to the ovaries if you're doing doing that work ahead of time. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And and I think, of course, we got to remind people, listeners out there, to do check this with their care providers, right? Because like you were saying, licorice is great, but make sure you're high blood, you don't have high blood pressure. Or, you know, with radiola, having the history of bipolar disorder. So just that that little caveat out there. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's it's great that you say that because I think it's my perspective that if you cannot do it with diet and lifestyle alone and you're starting to look at supplementing, that's that's a clear indication that you need to be working with a, a doctor or, you know, someone who's an experienced provider then and with, you know, very clearly they need to be experienced in postpartum care. It's something that um not, so I, you know, full disclosure, we are not taught much about postpartum 
postpartum care in medical school. Now, you know, and, and that's pretty much every medical school out there stops around the six week mark and is like, at six weeks, the uterus returns to its original size. Therefore, mama can have sex and exercise if everything checks out, la la la, go along your way, which is just like not the reality of the experience for the woman who just gave birth. And it's something that I really, it, it was after the birth of my son and how I struggled. And, you know, I, I had noticed this deficit in healthcare before my son came when I was working in a pediatrician's office and seeing all these moms coming in with so many questions about their bodies and nobody to answer those questions. And after I had my son, oh man, did I fill that void in healthcare. And I had great birth providers. I had a home birth with naturopathic midwives. They were doctors and midwives. Uh, you know, it, it was a great support team. But, you know, their care really ended at six weeks. And after that, I, I struggled with the development of my own autoimmune disease. And it took a long time to get anyone to listen to me, even as a doctor, because they were so quick to dismiss me and just say, well, you're a mom. Of course, you're tired. You just need to eat right and exercise and get more sleep, which is awful things to say to a new mom. Like, we believe me, if we could be sleeping, we would. It's not like we're choosing not to sleep. But, you know, it's, it's something that's really important you know, I spent, you know, the last, in the last four years, I have really dedicated and you, you can, my, to my family's dismay sometimes because I'm reading research articles like every Saturday morning on this, you know, the experience of a postpartum woman is very, very different. And so this is really important that if you're wanting to partner with someone, make sure they understand the different needs of a postpartum woman. And quite frankly, the thing that I see that um, women run into so often is that doctors um, won't actually want to touch them because they're breastfeeding. And so they'll say, you know, oh, well, when you're done breastfeeding, come see me. And I actually just had a colleague tell me that she had this woman who was struggling with postpartum depression. And she told her, I can't really do anything for you until you wean. So you might want to go ahead and wean so that we can start working on that. And Which to me, awful. I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She like, so I, I mean, I, I weaned my son completely when he was about three. Um, and I still am like, I really wish I was still breastfeeding because it's such this like bonding and amazing experience and you get all this oxytocin and there's so many beautiful things happening with breastfeeding that are keeping mom feeling chilled out and keeping mom, you know, happy. I mean, there's a beautiful mechanism there that I'm like, no, 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 we don't want to lose that. And when I was, you know, talking to, and I was talking with this doctor about this, she's like, that's just where I'm comfortable. And I'm like, I can hundred percent respect that. And I am really grateful. I think there's not enough humility and not enough doctors saying where their limits are. Like, you know, for instance, I'm not a cardiology specialist. I don't specialize in cancer. So, you know, things like that, it's like if you're coming to me and, and you have cancer, like I need to refer you to someone else because that's just not not where I work. And so that's, you know, the important message I was communicating to this doctor is go ahead and refer them to someone who is comfortable with that. That's amazing that you would you would say I'm not. This is beyond my scope, but we need to make sure we're still getting these women help. So that's all just to say, yes, if you need, if you feel like you need to start supplementing, you need to start taking supplements, using herbs, doing these other things, that is a clear indication that you need somebody to partner with because, you know, these herbs can be great and maybe they'll make you feel better in the short term and they might make you feel better in the long term. I mean, it might be all you need, but if there's something deeper going on, you know, you can mask your symptoms using herbs and, and 
in uh, nutraceuticals, so vitamins, minerals, things like that, the same that you can with a pharmaceutical. And if you start masking symptoms, maybe you feel better, you're letting something evolve that's deeper in the surface or deeper than just the surface of what you're seeing. And so that's really where someone like me comes in is to ask the question, why are you expressing in this way? What's actually going on underneath this? How do we get you feeling better right now? Of course, but how do we how do we correct the underlying issue and prevent this from from escalating further? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think you make a great point going back to the how we have now more placenta encapsulation research because moms have been getting you know the, as a consumer they've been sort of asking for that for that solution or that or that procedure or that you know that health benefit to happen and then the science has been catching up i think we need to do the same um with the with how we take care of new moms after they've given birth because before then even you mentioned about them being done at six weeks but it's not like you were seeing them like their doctors were seeing them every week up until six weeks they gave birth and then they didn't get seen again until six weeks when before giving birth they had to go in for checkups every single week to make sure baby was good right so there's this big void and then there's here you are six weeks let's make sure yep you're good we've seen you go on and you can't really get any in-depth knowledge of what's going on with this mom specifically in just a one little checkup at six weeks out absolutely and there's so much hap- that happens in those six weeks that you know women are <clears throat> just left to you know figure figure out on their own and this is something that you know this is a big reason why I wrote my book is because when I was pregnant and I was looking for postpartum inf- information there was like nothing out there and I'm like what is this what is this in medicine where we're all about mom as long as there's a baby in her body and and this is true in society too I mean man did people open doors for me they would run to open doors while I was pregnant. But as soon as I was pushing a stroller, man, did that change like that title, that whole, that whole event changed. And the same thing, you know, happens in medicine. We're all about mom, all about mom. And then as soon as baby's born, Hey, we're going to see baby for all of these checkups over, you know, the, this period of their life. But where, you know, where is anybody at for mom? And, you know, my perspective is like, look, if we want to practice true preventative medicine, we want to ensure that we have the healthiest population of humans, then really that comes through taking care of mamas and not just like our current mamas, but our future moms. Like this is where you know, I'm really, I'm on a mission to change the way women's health is being done. I mean, the way women are are treated in medicine, I mean, there's, we could go on this topic forever of the, you know, gender biases that exist and, you know, all of these disservices that are done to women. But really, I mean, the, the, the place where I really chose to start was how we're actually caring for our mothers, because they are the center of the family universe. And if mom is not 100% and she's not healthy and she's not taken care of, she does not have the energy or the resources to take care of her family in the way that they need. And so, you know, I just think this is so important. I think the work that women like you do, being a doula and being there with that woman is so important because these are really the caretakers of the future human race. I mean, moms are a really big deal. I mean, without them, you know, none of us would be here. And yeah, dads play a role too, but you know, my work's with women, so I tend to focus on moms. (laughs) 
But, you know, you, you're absolutely right. You know, if we're going to create change in medicine, and this is something I really woke up to, it is not going to be with our current doctors. Sure, I can sway some of their minds, and so can you. But really, this movement and this change is going to come through women demanding this change. Mom standing up and saying, no, we deserve better. Because, yes, they do. And we've really got to get we've got to get in at our like future doctor level. That's where we can create the change. But, you know, change isn't going to come from me. It's not going to come from me talking to other providers, although I do lecture to lots of doctors and teach them about, you know, postpartum health and things like this. But the change is really going to come at the ground level from women, women like you and I and, and the listeners who are patients demanding better. And really, I think we can change this. And I'm, I'm excited and I'm pumped because I think, you know, I'm already starting to see changes happening. And this dialogue, this conversation about postpartum care in the fourth trimester is really starting to evolve. And yeah, we're, we're decades off from getting the change we need, but we're on our way. And it's really, I mean, even you having a podcast like this is so fundamental to this movement of really creating change for the better in women's health. Mm, yeah, no, and the work you do, absolutely. We're 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 trying. We're realizing there's a huge problem and trying to give moms some support immediately, while at the same time trying to make bigger changes as we go. Doctor Brighton, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about one thing that keeps coming up, right? In, and especially that six-week checkup tends to be the, okay, you now you're clear to have sex and how hormones affect that because they do. So let's take a break and we'll come back to talk about that. Resetting your nervous system and mindfully bringing yourself back to calm a few times throughout your day can have a positive impact during your life and it also helps you get a better night's sleep. Developing a meditation practice can be a super simple and incredibly beneficial way to shift your lifestyle habits, but figuring out where to start can be a little daunting. Let Expectful help with that. The Expectful app is one of my favorite resources to help pregnant and new moms find their calm. I really like that it's designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you want help with at any particular moment. Whether it's better sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, Expectful makes it super easy for you. If you have five minutes, you have time to meditate. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out yourself. That's expectful.com slash birthful. And we're back and I'm talking with Dr. Jolene Brighton about hormones, hormones during postpartum and, and yeah, during the pregnancy year. So before we left, I left the question of sex right and hormones and dryness and all of that like what is happening with your hormones at that point your breastfeeding how does that all combine and come together and what is if anything can you do about it yeah this is a great question and I thank you for being brave enough to bring it up because um for whatever reason nobody wants to talk about sex after having a baby I get that like you know there's been some trauma to the tissue maybe it's not a conversation you're ready to have depending on where you're at but, you know, as I actually was just having this uh, conversation with a patient yesterday who was talking to me about her inability to orgasm. And I said to her, okay, that's that's a problem. We need to work on that because orgasms are really important and you need to be having those. And she was like, wait a minute. 
wait, you think my orgasm is important? Like, I've never heard a doctor say that. And I'm like, well, that's because doctors don't want to talk about it. You know, this is like everybody puts the hush when it comes to sex talk. But it's really, really important. I mean, it's really important in our lives. And, you know, what happens after you have a baby? So again, estrogen progesterone levels drop. Your sex drive follows. So estrogen progesterone go, our sex drive goes, and then it actually can, those low levels of hormones can even inhibit your ability to orgasm. And then to take it further, you know, your prolactin starts rising um, if you're breastfeeding, and that's going to further diminish any sexual desire. And so, you know, this, of course, sounds really bad, but it's actually what your body should be doing. It's, it's actually a natural form of birth control so to speak, that your body is saying, you know, we just had a baby. We're, uh, you know, we're having to give up a lot of nutrients to care for this new child. We need to heal. This is not a good time for us to get pregnant. And so it starts to diminish, you know, any sexual desire. And so <clears throat> that's your body just being smart, but you know, it's not convenient. And I definitely understand that. And vaginal dryness is something that uh, most certainly is a complaint in postpartum. So you know, that vaginal dryness is really coming from the fact that there's not enough estrogen. And estrogen helps plump up that tissue. It helps with lubrication. And so it's, you know, even though sometimes estrogen gets a bad rap, it's a great hormone. Every hormone is an awesome hormone as long as it's in balance. So, you know, then the question is, well, what, what can I do? So the first thing is we definitely have to recognize that if you are not interested in having sex because there's issues in your relationship, that's what you got to take care of first. So, you know, just if you and your husband are not getting along, you're not feeling supported, you know, whatever the reason, the answer is not to go start hormones or start things so that you can get your hormones back and, and you know, get back on track uh, with sex. That's part of the equation. But you've got to you definitely got to handle the mental emotional stuff. And here's the reality of what foreplay is really for women. Foreplay for us actually happens through the course of the day. When a man or, you know, if you have a, f a female partner, when your partner is, you know, doing the dishes, taking care of the children, vacuuming the house, paying the bills, you know, whatever it is for you, when you're feeling supported and your partner is handling those things, you that's actually foreplay. That's actually when a woman starts to be like, okay, this is my partner. We connect on a deeper level uh, when it comes to sex. Not that men can't, but for women... <clears throat> You know, we have to have those things happening. We have to feel supported. If your partner isn't supporting you in the day, that's going to impact, you know, how your physiology is set up in the bedroom. So that's important to understand. You know, the other thing that's important to understand is that we need, when it comes to actual sexual foreplay, we need a good 15 minutes, sometimes more, to get in the mood. This is our normal physiology. So um, I say this because a lot of times women will come to me and they'll think something's wrong with them because, you know, you know, in the movies, they're just like, oh, we kiss and we instantly are having sex. It's just like, boom, there it is. Like in five minutes, everything is escalated. And, you know, maybe maybe that happens in a new relationship or when you're like much younger in life. But, you know, that's just not the reality for most of us. And so women need about 15 minutes of foreplay to warm up. And then we need like another 15, 20 minutes to get to orgasm. So, you know, if you're like it takes takes me like 30 minutes or so. That's not abnormal. Now, if you're having those, so let's talk a little bit about if you're having vaginal dryness, you're having pain with intercourse some of these more physiological things. So firstly, I think every woman should go through what I call vagina rehab after having a baby. Um, <clears throat> I am a holistic pelvic care therapist. So what that means is, is that 
I do a myofascial release to the pelvic floor with a woman. I do not ever believe in medicine something should be done to women. I think we should always be partnering with women, especially when it comes to working in these more sensitive areas. So um, what I perform is a myofascial release. It's like a gentle vaginal massage. But what we're doing is we're releasing trigger points and we're really getting the muscles uh, to, to start engaging in the way that they're supposed to. And at the same time, if a woman likes to go there, we're also working on some of the energetic pieces of that as well. So I really think, you know, in France, uh, pelvic floor physical therapy is just given to every woman after that she has a baby. And it's something that a lot of countries recognize is really important. And it's not only important for sexual health because you can certainly develop pelvic pain um, after giving birth. And that could be as simple as trigger points or nerve compression. And, you know, it can definitely be because we had more of a tear and the tissue is going to take longer to heal. There can be a lot of reasons for that. But we know that if we're if we're working on that that pelvic floor that that the vaginal wall and the muscles in there that we can reduce pelvic pain we can actually increase circulation so that orgasms and sex is more enjoyable and at the same time we can actually prevent uterine prolapses vaginal prolapses that can happen 30 years later after giving birth so this is a connection not a lot of providers or women make is that actually what you did following the birth of your child, you know, if you were up running around, you know, not to really taking care of your body in the way that your body was requiring in those early weeks after giving birth, you can actually set yourself up for, you know, having, having the uterus actually drop down or the, or the vaginal wall losing its integrity as you age. And that's when we see really shows up in our sixties. So I definitely think pelvic floor physical therapy you can even uh you can even do your do this own therapy on yourself and i actually encourage it i, I talk about this in my book and then um one of my mentors tammy lynn kent who has the wild feminine that's another great book of like how do you do a self-vaginal massage and and you can totally do this a lot of times you need someone to help you at first but you can do this at home and i talk about this in my book under um explore the new terrain um is, is what i call it that's and, so funny uh, because I always say that after birth, the topography changes. Absolutely. <laughs> Things are very, very different. And so, you know, uh, so women understand, you know, even uh, from a gynecological uh, you know, perspective, the speculum, so that that metal or plastic device that you, you have for your, you know, annual or every three year uh, pap smear, that that we have a different one for women who've gone through childbirth because the vagina has changed that much. And not a lot of women know, know that, that actually we have different speculums depending on where like where you are at in your life cycle. But um, I love that you tell women to, to, to explore the terrain as well. It's funny. I've actually, I got some criticism for this because some people are like, oh, are you outright telling new moms to masturbate? Like, that's wrong. And I'm like, look, if a new mom decides that's what she wants to do, that's her business, not my business, not your business. But it is important to actually, you know, explore the terrain, to do the internal uh, vaginal massage. And it's not about, you know, pleasuring yourself. Although if you want to do that, I don't judge you. It's your body, your life. But it's about when you touch with your fingers, it actually clues your brain into that area. So you can do this like 
There's been studies that if you do an abdominal crunch and you put your fingertips on your belly while you're doing it, you engage that muscle better. Um, And so it's all about the communication of the central nervous system. So your whole nervous system and speaking to the muscles as well. And so that's why we actually want to be doing this vaginal massage and having you actually check out what's going on down there after having baby because it can really start getting the, the muscles to work correctly, to get the brain clued in, to get circulation up. And if we can get circulation up, then we get any hormones that we have getting delivered there along with the nutrients that we need to heal that tissue. Hmm. Now, for some women, you know, that's just simply not going to be enough. And you're going to, you know, need a vaginal lubrication. Um, so you can like, I, you know, recommend if you're not using a condom, you can use something like coconut oil or another natural based, uh, um, uh, what am I, a lubricant. I'm like, what is the word I'm going for there? So you can use a natural based, uh, lubricant. I, you know, that, that tissue, once you've been cleared after six weeks, is still pretty tender. So you're going to have to go really slow, and then you only want the cleanest lubricants possible mm-hmm. because there, when there is friction, and with intercourse there is friction, you break down tissue, and now things that you know your, your skin barrier would have protect you from actually start to get through. And so that's why like, lubricants being clean is really important. And then, you know, definitely being really gentle and going slow with your with yourself and knowing that it's going to take some time um, to really ease into that. Now I do, um, I recommend uh, women often use vitamin E suppositories at this time as well, or even like a calendula salve. Um, the vitamin E is per, in particular, so any woman with vaginal dryness, doesn't, know, doesn't matter where you're at in your life cycle, uh, 400 IU capsule of vitamin E, just like the oral kind that you would take, you just poke a little hole in the top of it and insert it into the vagina that vitamin E will plump up the tissue, similar to how estrogen does. Um, and it's, it's just going to help with your tissue healing and your integrity overall. And so that's like the next step that we would go to. For some women, that's, that's still not going to be enough. And vaginal dryness can be a real problem. And so in those cases, I, you know, if it's more extreme, I will actually recommend something like a DHEA suppository. So not like DHA, the fish oil we were talking about. This is DHEA. And this is an adrenal gland hormone. And it's a precursor to estrogen and testosterone. When we go through menopause or when, when you've given birth and your ovaries aren't secreting estrogen and progesterone the same way, you're getting your estrogen and, and your testosterone, you're getting these hormones coming from your adrenal glands. And so DHEA, so if for women listening, Typically, what's recommended for vaginal dryness in women is uh, something called estriol, E3. Um, It's great for vaginal dryness. It works right on the mucosa layer, so that skin layer. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't affect the pelvic floor muscles. So why I opt for DHEA, and there's been studies to show as little as 13 milligrams, which is a very low dose, inserted to the vagina nightly, not only is going to help with lubrication, um, it's also going to help strengthen the pelvic floor muscles. So that's like a two for one. Fantastic. Which if we can strengthen those pelvic floor muscles, there's less incontinence and less chance of you contracting a urinary tract infection when you are sexually active. So that's another bonus to it. Plus, women uh, in my practice who use the DHEA, they always tell me that their their orgasms and their sex is so much better when they're using the DHEA. Now, with with the caveat, of course, this is only if you actually need it. We don't want to just be using DHEA for funsies because we can actually push testosterone too too far. 
And that can result in you growing hair on your chin or getting acne like a teenager. Or you can push estrogen too far, which is going to make you gain weight, feel really like inflamed, retaining water. You get That's where you get breast tenderness. You have mood swings. So we don't ever want to push estrogen or testosterone too far. So again, this comes down to if you're thinking that you need a supplement or a medication, this is time to work with a provider that can help guide you with that. So does that help answer the question? Any Anything else I can help answer around the sex conversation? Yeah, no, I think that answers a lot of questions and it also like gives so much food for thought for moms. But I, I love... The, I think we've come full circle in that fact of, you know, your body's going through all these changes and it's normal, but figure out what's normal and make sure you understand that that needs to be supported, be it by a postpartum plan, be it by communication with your partner, be it by, you know, creating your village of of friends, family, and professional support, be it by also talking to your doctor differently and getting different care, and then, you know, digging deep into this um, of supporting yourself and, and, and honoring your recovery, I think is the biggest thing. Because we don't honor the recovery, our systems don't support honoring the recovery, we're not taking care of our moms. And then, you know, in your 60s, you're seeing your pelvic floor pro- prolapse because because of something that happened during your birth. Yep. So, and I, I love that you say honoring, honoring the process and honoring your body's innate ability to heal itself. I mean, that's we've there's been you know there's there's so many times that we are told in society that like our body's stupid and you need to suppress it and you need to do this and things are supposed to be this way but really your body is wise and a lot of times if you just nourish it and you honor exactly what you're saying honor the process honor its needs things are things are going to come back into alignment and when they're not that's where people like me we're that's why I'm here is to help when things don't go the way they that they should have Absolutely. And we were supposed to also talk about like hormones during fertility and this occupied our full hours. So maybe I'll have you back (laughs) for that at some other point for sure, because it's been a delight talking to you. But Dr. Brighton, if people, the listeners want to know more about what you're doing, check out your books, check out your all the all your offerings or connect with you for as as a doctor um, to get help with their recovery. How can they do that? Yeah, so you can find me at drbrighton.com. It's a little bit tricky. My last name's Brighton like the sun, so it's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. And if you type in drbrighton.com slash hormone kit, you can you can download a free hormone kit, which is a great place to get started. I teach you how to map your menstrual cycle in that. So if you are having hormonal issues um, and your menstrual cycle hasn't even come back yet, this is a good place to start. And so you can download that for free and start to dive into that. And then um, pretty exciting, uh, I haven't even like announced this anywhere else yet, but I am going to be opening back up uh, my my practice to new patients. So I actually haven't taken a new patient in about six months, and I'm finally at a place where I can do that again, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, and so I'm going to be accepting patients in both my Portland and Oakland clinics starting in 2017, which is crazy to even say 2017, but I'm pretty excited about that. I've been missing getting some, some new patients in, but everybody's starting to get better and, and graduate on, so now I can open back up and bring more ladies into my practice. Yay. And how satisfying that everybody's graduating and moving on because they're healthy and and now you can take help help new patients. 
Absolutely. That's my whole, you know, when people ask like, you know, how, how is it that you're able to take new patients and, you know, they get in and then we get into all of that. I'm like, here's the deal. I see it that I have a patient come in, I've got to get them better and I want to get them better fast into a place where they no longer need me anymore so that they really go on like the graduate program, which is where they're spacing out their visits more and more so that we can bring in the next person to start helping them. Because I, I put a lot of time into each patient's case that it, it restricts me from how many people I'm actually able to take. But that's my whole perspective is if I want to help more people then the people I have right now, I've got to get them better fast. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Thank you so, so, so much for this talk today. And uh, yeah, we will have to talk about doing another one. <laughs> further yeah, along absolutely. Line. This was fantastic. I loved your questions. And I just love the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for having me. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, get your free postpartum vacation worksheet, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at Birthful, so come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful humans at Fullscript and Expectful. To best support this podcast, support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Go to fullscript.com slash birthful and to expectful.com slash birthful to do just that. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so, so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>